Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is another Thursday episode. Today, we're going to be talking about fly fishing, winter fly fishing to be specific. We got to spend the day out fly fishing yesterday. We actually had a good friend, Blake Adams, go with us, so he is going to be on the podcast today. Blake, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, before we get started, we are going to give thanks since it is Thursday, and then we're going to ask Blake just a few questions to get to know him a little better. But, and do you want to start with giving thanks? I'm so thankful for friends, the people that God has placed in my life. You know, I woo, I know that I'm hard to uh, to be around and to, to put up with, so just so thankful that uh, the men and women that are, are friends in my life, that they can put up with me. Yeah, I'm going to kind of piggyback off that. You kind of stole mine. I, I'm, I'm thankful for friends as well but really specifically lately i've been at the forefront of my mind i've been thinking about all the friendships over the years of my life people that i don't get to see or spend much time with anymore but when i do get to see them it picks up right where it left off and i know so many of you can can think of people like that in your lives and it's almost a phenomenon like i haven't seen this person in 10 years but it's just like when i saw them before you know Blake, you and I used to work together. We shared an office, saw each other every single day, and now we don't. So it's it's a lot more rare when we do get to see each other, but it, it's it's the same as it was before. The friendship is, is just as strong and just as quality uh, as before. So I'm, I'm really glad for people to get to know you a little bit uh, here today on the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. Um, and let's do that. Let's get to know you just a little bit. Got a couple questions for you. Uh, this We started this with our last guest. And first would be, what is your favorite outdoor activity? Well, you know, I've been sitting here trying to think up a a good answer for what my favorite outdoor activity is. And I kind of ran through the gamut of my favorite things to do outside. And, you know, there's several things I really enjoy. But when it all boils down to it, I just enjoy being out there. Mm. I I like seeing birds. I like catching fish because I like seeing the fish. I like, you know, going out and hunting because that means I get to see more wildlife. And I'm just as happy to walk through a field of wildflowers as I am to float down an Ozark Creek. And so... I don't know that I could say that I have a favorite outdoor activity more than just my favorite thing is to be outdoors. Well, that's perfect for you to be living in the Ozarks because there are so many things to do each season. So it sounds like you you live in the in the best place for you, Blake. Absolutely. And I'll advocate for everybody listening. Blake is an outdoorsman. Uh, one of his nicknames is, is Pioneer. This guy can do everything from from homesteading to yeah planting wildflowers and making birdhouses and uh definitely would consider you a a naturalist would you consider yourself a bit of a naturalist i would i'd say you know that's that's a pretty fair uh label to put on me yeah so as really as far as somebody who loves the outdoors and really does a lot of outdoor activities i'll i'll vouch for you on on that for sure second question we got for you here is what is your favorite place that you've ever traveled to yeah, I, that was kind of a, a tough one, too. I sat there and thought about it, and um, I really think that when I went down to the Gulf Coast, on the Gulf of Mexico, uh, it had been in 2014, I went down there, and I really didn't think I was going to enjoy it. Um, you know, you don't see uh, that on the cover of a birding magazine, you know, anything like that, and so I really didn't think, you know, beaches and, and was going to be my thing, but when I got down there, 
the host of wildlife that I was able to see, uh, the shorebirds, seeing things fly above. Uh, we went out and did some fishing and, and caught just so many different species of fish in such a short period of time. That was really uh, a life-changing experience for me to be able to see that breadth and scope of wildlife in some place that I really didn't expect it to be. I kind of assumed it was all going to be vacation condos and, and white sands, and I, was, I really was pleasantly surprised. That's one of my favorite things about traveling is getting to see wildlife that we don't have here because we, we have a lot of wildlife here, but we almost take it for granted because it, it's our normal every day. So going to see things that people in those areas see every day is, I love it. And it's kind of this reminder of God created a lot of amazing things, and just because we don't see them all, it doesn't take away from from how incredible they are. So that's that's a really good one to share. Appreciate that. So, well, let's let's get into exactly where we went and and what we did yesterday. And we we went to a state park. You know where we live here in the Ozarks, we do have trout fishing opportunities, but it's not like out west where we have these these natural native populations, and you can go out to to all these streams, a stream every mile. We we really have stocked trout parks. Our state is producing these trout and hatcheries and stocking these streams to give anglers uh, fishing opportunities. And it really continues throughout the whole year. There's actually only a few weeks that it is fully closed and we're coming right up on that time. So we wanted to take advantage of it being open for the winter season. So we stepped out and, and found a place to go. Um, we went to Bennett Springs State Park and it's kind of has a special place for me because when I was a kid, this is where my father used to take me, and this is one of the places where I learned to fish. Uh, you know, just talking to my dad this morning, hearing about telling him that we went yesterday. Hey, you're not going to believe where we went, and him asking, you know, was it? Is it like you remember? Yeah, it is. And he he started reminiscing and telling stories about when I was three years old and how I was catching more fish than than the other men. And uh, it was cool to go back because it has been over 20 years since I've been there. So it was cool to go back and see it, and it really is just how I remember it. And I know, Ben, you've been there in the past too, correct? Yeah, actually, the last time I'd been was in high school, and uh, me and a couple buddies, um, one being Brandon Freeman, he was actually on our podcast not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually when he could drive. I couldn't drive yet. And another buddy of ours, Aaron Norick, all three of us loaded up in this little single cab pickup, and away we went to Bennett Springs, and man, that's been... Well, I'm not going to age myself. It's been a long time ago. So to get to go out with, with these guys again, um, I couldn't wait. What about you, Blake? Had, had you been to this park before? I had. So I'd been to Bennett Springs a long time ago uh, when I was very young, kind of like you guys. Uh, but I had actually been within the last year. Uh, a friend of mine lives up towards Springfield, so it's not too far of a drive for her. And so we went up there and enjoyed the day and walked around, had lunch, caught some trout early that day. And, and then uh, we, we looked at the hatchery and then headed headed home. So I'd I'd been there fairly recently, uh, but not much time spent there, so I was, I was excited to go back and, and do some exploring. Yeah, I was going to say, you kind of had that sentiment before. We, we were trying to pick where to go, and you kind of had that, man, I'd kind of like to check this out and do some more exploring there, and we we did. We got to see most of it yesterday. Uh, part of that was because it was so busy, it was kind of hard to find a place to fish, but why why winter trout fishing really is a, is a question that we want to answer. Why would we pick this? Because it kind of is a little counterintuitive to go fly fishing in the winter when it's cold. Well, one reason for us was it wasn't cold. We had an awesome day. It was actually got up to like 63 degrees. The downside of that is that in the winter, when you get warm days, you get that strong mm -hmm. south wind. And Blake, I think the word you used was blustery yesterday. It was quite, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was really blowing. And 
if you've fly fished before, you know wind and fly fishing are not friends. They're not friends. They don't get back together uh, after a few years of not knowing each other and, and pick up where they left off. They never get along at all. No, that was it was actually really cool because there were areas that we were finding that were out of the wind. And what I, honestly, I was thinking wind would help, kind of like bass fishing, but where it's not helping is that it absolutely takes your fly line and does whatever it wants to with it. So, you know, we were kind of laughing because we were finding all kinds of floats and, and flies and trees and all this stuff. And we were kind of like, how do people throw up in those trees? But on a day like today, you could have definitely done something like that. Yeah, Blake, you kind of had, you preemptively thought about the wind, and you your solution was bring a big rod, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's a pretty standard of the Ozarks. If it's warm in the wintertime, it's going to blow like the devil. And mm-hmm. so my kind of thought process was, you know, down in the trout park, you know, we got a little bit of hill on each side. It might cut some of it, but there's a good chance it's just going to end up funneling it through. And so what I did is I brought a heavier rod that I normally would fish with. I went from a, a six to an eight, so I went up in size, a little bit, a little bit stiffer rod. And I also went with a sink tip, which means that I have a heavier fly line than most of your floating fly line. So I'm putting more weight in the air, which I'm able to use more efficiently through that heavy wind. Yeah, and you could really tell that, especially when we first started, where we were we were all standing generally in the same spot and you were getting a lot closer to that opposite bank than Ben and I were with our lighter rods and lighter lines. So that was a good choice on your part for sure because you were covering some more water than we were. And you could really feel though, you know, when you're when you're fly casting and you have a forward cast and, and a back cast, when that wind was coming out of the south and we were facing north, that back cast, I could feel when it was gusting, just blowing it right back at me. And then you have no way to cast forward. So there were a several casts where I just had to stop and completely start over, what we started to figure out was we could time the gusts. So rather than just get frustrated, because sometimes that's what wind does to me, it just frustrates me, we were able to to kind of have this awareness of, hey, it really picks up, and then it dies down for a minute or two, and that's when we can make a good presentation and, and make the cast. And Blake, I think you pointed that out, like just time the gusts, and then you'll be able to get get that fly out there. Yeah, you 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 know, the wind would come through and, you you know, just these little gusts that blow through. And so you'd be sitting there, you're ready to make a cast, but you could look up in the hills, you'd see the leaves start to move. You're like, okay, there's one coming. Just let it pass. And then after that, you'd have a few seconds of calm before the next gust come through. And that's when you'd make that presentation and it wouldn't be so sloppy. Yeah, you could almost hear it like a train coming down the tracks. Here it comes. All right, wait, let the train pass. All right, now you can cast. Yeah, I do want to add that we did have warm days, which also led to the wind. But it was very busy, and that was one of the things that we weren't planning on because going to this park in the wintertime, we were thinking it would be dead, like right. no one there. We just pretty much had this whole place to ourselves, and that was completely opposite. We 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 spent some time trying to find a location where all three of us could fish, especially in that wind. I mean, if, if we're fishing on top of each other, trying to fish in that wind, that could have been devastating. So we're looking for those spots. Yeah, you make a really good point, though, why anybody would even want to give this a try. Why would anybody want to go winter fly fishing? And more times than not, the parks and the streams are not as busy. So you can kind of get it to yourself or try areas that are really popular that you can't get to during the busy season. But for us, we, we expected that. We expected it to not be very busy. That was one of the bonuses of us all getting together in a February day to, to go fly fishing. It was Monday. We just thought it wasn't going to be that busy. 
the warm weather and it being February and cabin fever, it brought people out of the woodworks. Uh, really, to be honest, it looked like a bunch of retired people, uh, people that of retirement age, and they were out there enjoying the warm weather in the Ozarks. So on one hand, it was kind of disappointing because we didn't get to explore quite as much. We didn't get to try all these spots. On the other hand, it was like, you know what? These people are outdoors. They're, they could be at home eating frozen dinners and, and watching afternoon TV, but they're out here outdoors fishing, spending time with each other. So that really made our hearts happy. It did, yeah. And to, to kind of help maybe those listening that don't go to trout parks very often, when we're talking in the spring, when, when the trout park opens up, it is so busy. You are standing, I mean, shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> you can't even hardly cast because there's so many people on the bank. And at this area, there's even people on the other side of the bank. So sometimes you're catching more than just the fish. You're catching people <laughs> on the other side. So when we're talking about not being busy, that's literally what we're trying to say here is that, man, through the, the busy months, it is so packed it really is hard to, to find a place to fish. Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, when you're farming cattle and you go to the grain bin and you go to pour grain in the, the trough there and they just all about run you over. That's about what spring trout fishing is like. Good, that's good. Uh, there are other reasons for, for the winter to go. One, it's a pretty affordable activity to, to go do. You don't have to have a ton of equipment. Obviously, you need a fly rod because... It's fly fishing, and a lot of these parks, particularly the one we went to, you can only use flies to fish with. Now, you don't have to use a fly rod, but you have to use an actual fly. So you could use a spinning rod as long as it was a little one that you could cast a fly with. But if you're wanting to get started fly fishing, there are combos and kits you can go get at Walmart that are only like $30, and they are plenty good enough for you to go learn how to fly fish and go out and catch fish with so it's a pretty low cost as far as equipment goes now if you're wanting to get up into the i'm t i'm saying 10 times more than that uh maybe more 20 times more than that three thousand dollars for for different setups and stuff but definitely at the beginning i don't suggest going and get 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 something to see if you even like it or can do it do know that i have used the cheap 30 dollar combos and they they are sufficient enough to go out and catch fish that's good what other equipment do we need, though? Well, we all used waders, and that's really, uh, we'll call it boots and pants that you can put on, uh, kind of bibs. I'll, bibs is a better description because they go over your shoulder. They're called chest waders so that you can actually wade into the water and stay dry and reach some of these areas you may not be able to cast to. You do not have to have those. There are areas... Um, in most of these trout parks that you can fish without having waders does it make it easier yes and some people would say even more fun there's kind of this experience of being in the water with the fish however the fish seemed like they were swimming around our feet where we were standing in the water more than anything ben i think you even stepped on one well actually yeah that was crazy but i i want to add though that even people in wheelchairs can actually use the ramps that they have out there and and our parks today are, are really awesome that we can provide a, a place for everybody to go. But we even seen some um, some men that were in a wheelchair that, that came out and they were catching fish right off that little, I'm going to call it a pier. I don't know what else it's called, but um, it takes you way out into that stream. So you don't have to have waders. But if you do have waders or you're able to, to get into that stream, man, the fish were literally at our feet. Mm -hmm. I actually stepped on one. Didn't kill it, for those listening, but they came in because of my feet moving that uh, the sandy bottom. 
Yeah, other than that, you you need to have some flies. You know, you got to have some bait to throw out there for them. Uh, you can get that at Walmart. There's there's starter fly kits. Bass Pro Shops has several different options you can go to. Uh, you can order them online, but most most stores that have outdoor fishing aisles are going to have some fly options to get started. Um, and so what, basically once you've got the rod and the fly, then you really have to start worrying about the regulations. What do I need uh, to be legal? And you got to have a fishing license. Here in Missouri, you have to have a fishing license. And we thought at most of these, most of the time we go to these trout parks, you buy a daily trout tag. I think you said it was $4, Blake. Yeah, that's typically about right. It's usually about $4 for a daily pass. And how do you get it? So you'll typically, when you get there, you'll go to the park store. Uh, you'll go in. You'll pay for your permit. And they'll give you a little daily tag that must be visible, typically from the back. So you'll either put it on the back of your hat or on the back of your, uh, your, your shirt or jacket. And that's usually your day permit. It'll last all day uh, from start to finish. And how'd that go for us? Well, we rolled up. Uh, <laughs> I think we all kind of expected to pick up a few more flies, maybe some leaders at the store all got our tags. And we rolled up, and uh, well, there, there was nobody at the store. And we thought, <laughs> well, either we're going to have a real short line or they ain't open. And yeah. it definitely ended up being the second one. So we rolled up and actually didn't know that the, the store was closed on Mondays, which is an open day for the park, but a closed day for the store. Mm-hmm. And being the, you know, the people that we are, we wanted to verify that we were doing everything legally. And so we actually had to track down a park ranger and ask him, make sure that we were doing everything by the book. And he said, yeah, he says, as long as you have a resident Missouri fishing license and you have a trout permit on days uh, during the wintertime, you can do that without having the park pass. Right. And, and fortunately... Ours from last year are still good for a couple more weeks to February 28th, or, and we all already had our trout permits and our fishing tags, so we rolled in ready to go fish and not even knowing it. We thought we were going to have to spend a little more money, so that kind of is a bonus. If you've trout fished or already have your fishing permit from earlier in the year, you don't have to buy uh, the the park, the $4 park uh, daily pass during the winter because it's, it's already included with what you got. Yeah, but you do have to have that trout permit, which is the opposite. Because some of the parks you go to, I've never had to buy the online permit. You just have to have your normal fishing license. You show up at the park, you buy your $4 tag, and you're good to go. So that's why it's so important that you know your regulations before you go. You know, we wanted to double check. That's why we tracked down the warden. You know, we just wanted to make for sure. We were pretty sure we were good with everything we had, but we wanted to make for sure. But I want to add to the story. <laughs> so... We actually found the park ranger. He was parked in the parking lot, and Brian drove in his truck, and we pull up next to him, and, and Blake's actually in the passenger seat. And he, so Blake rolls down the window, and the park ranger rolls down his, and Blake says, hello, sir. And, and the park ranger's like, yeah, how can I help you? And Blake says, we just want to verify that, that we have everything we need. We have our fishing license. And we said, do we need to purchase this stamp since they're not open, the $4 tag? And he goes, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up, which it caught me so off guard because I thought he was a park ranger for this park. I mean, he's he's a park ranger in the in the park ranger vehicle setting in this park, and I thought he would know. And he actually had to look it up for us, which he was super kind, super awesome gentleman. He looked it up, gave us the information we needed. But again, if he wouldn't have been there, we wouldn't have had that information. We'd have had to look it up ourselves. And, and again, so important that you know your regulations, what you need before you go. Yeah, it was really nice that that he was there and he was very kind. He was so kind that he was actually busy on the phone. I, I don't know who he was working, but he was busy when we rolled up and he dropped it what he was doing to serve us. Uh, um, and so I was thankful for that. But 
he just it wasn't his normal park. He was he was somewhere that he doesn't normally work, but he did take the time to to make sure we got the information we needed. So we appreciate that. Yeah, once once you're legal, there are a few other things to consider. You know, th- this time of year, they don't have the restaurants open and not all the restrooms. So we we did pack a lunch, bring you a pack lunch. Most of these parks are not going to be really close to any municipalities, so it would be quite a bit of a drive to go to fast food to get lunch. Plus, sitting outdoors in a, a beautiful park, having lunch with your friends is, is a great place to be, and I, I wouldn't want to pass that up. It's a lot better than sitting inside a restaurant somewhere. Um, and be ready. There usually will be a restroom or two open, but they're not all going to be open, so maybe kind of scout that out as you're driving through, or, or if you do see the park ranger, stop and ask them. Ask some other guests around because it wasn't until the very end of the day that we finally found the one restroom that was open, and we were kind of hurting uh, by then for sure. Uh, one thing you definitely, we, we didn't say you needed to buy this, but you probably need to have this. It's going to make your life a lot easier. It's better for fish care, and that's a net. Uh, I actually paid, I just bought like a little cheap $10 hand net, and that's really all you need because with trout, they're not a huge species, you're close to the water or in the water if you're waiting and you can scoop them right in the net. But that allows you on light line with small tackle to be able to safely land the fish, handle the fish, get it released um, and back into the water. And you're not breaking them off, having them twist around your legs and trees and everything like that. So uh, a net, I think, is kind of an essential piece. And you don't have to go all out and buy a $200 one. Uh, matter of fact, I use literally the cheapest one that's on the rack. So let's actually get into technique. Winter versus the rest of the year is different. I I would say it's more simple. There's not as many options because when you're talking about trout fishing, you're really trying to match the insect hatch that's going on. What are what are they eating? Are they coming up and, and eating mayflies? Are they just feeding on larvae and pupa that's in the water right now? What are they what are they focused on? And, and during the winter, there's not a lot going on, so you can kind of narrow it down. And we saw and we knew from past that. Uh, what is called a nymph really is the best option in the winter because um, those small little larval stage of flies is what's really in the water. And we saw all these people, everybody we saw catching fish had a strike indicator, which is basically a, a bobber for a fly fisherman with a little teeny tiny nymph under it and they're floating it through the current. And probably using weighted ones getting down deeper in some of the slow water. And we saw some of them catching fish However, we took a different approach. One, that is not my preferred way to fish. Two, we wanted to catch some of the bigger fish that were in there. And it's kind of hard to catch the bigger fish that way because uh, they have to eat so many of those to actually get a full meal. So if you start throwing bigger flies, they may be more prone to bite this bigger fly. They're cold and more lethargic. And that's really one of the biggest differences, right, Blake, is that it is colder and they aren't quite as active as other parts of the year. Yeah, so in the winter time, typically the kind of the go-to ideology is fish are going to get down, they're going to get where the waters are a little bit warmer, and they're also going to get kind of out of the current just a little bit more than they typically would. They're trying not to burn any excess energy. And so usually in the winter time what we're looking for is we're looking for deeper holes and we're going to try and fish those back to the side of that current a little bit more. Uh, kind of going off what you said, yeah, using those nymphs uh, sometimes is difficult if you're really seeking out your bigger fish uh, because you have to compete with all the little fish. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, catching fish is a blast and a half, but if you're looking for a, you know, 16, 18 inch rainbow and all you're doing is catching eight inches, 
you might need to step it up a little bit. Maybe get out of their direct feeding lane, get something a little bit that kind of outpaces them, uh, get something a little bit bigger, maybe move it a little bit faster, uh, and that'll kind of help separate out what you're actually catching. And so, yeah, using bigger flies, uh, fishing deeper than you typically would, uh, is, is usually a good way to go in the wintertime. So, so tell us, what did you use? How did you go about it? What, what all did you use? I used mainly two different patterns uh, when we were out there. I started off with a fairly large uh, bucktail and uh, hackle feather rig. Basically, it's a, it's a type of what we call a deceiver, a lefty's deceiver. I kind of made it a little bit my own, added some different colorations and, and put some flash in it. Uh, basically, it's, it's imitating a minnow, uh, imitating a small bait fish. And so with my big heavy line uh, throwing this bigger fly, I was able to really kind of move it through the water, pulling it down deeper. Uh, and ideally searching out those larger fish. Uh, I also did change it up a little bit as we got into areas that were a lot skinnier uh, because throwing a big fly uh, at a very skinny amount of water is sometimes difficult. I went to a, a smaller uh, fly we call Sculpin. So it's a, it's a heavy fly. It looks kind of like a leech. It's, it's very short. Uh, it's made of rabbit fur and has a Sculpin helmet on it. And basically just really kind of bouncing it or swinging it through a lot of those really current areas. Because, of course, the skinnier the water, the more narrow the water, the faster it typically flows. You get out of the bigger pools, the water slows down. You can fish a little bit lighter, fly deeper. But when it's going really fast, you have to have that weight. Uh, when you're talking about fly fishing, you have to recognize that you're not throwing out the weight that you would be bass fishing. You're using very light tackle. And so if you're fishing very fast moving water, you're going to have to step it up in terms of either where you're casting to to let it drift down to the where you're ideally wanting to fish, or you're going to have to go with heavier flies. And it's casting it is not as easy to cast a heavy fly, but you're typically going to net reward doing it that way. Yeah, that, that's a really good point about the winter, though, is those fish are on the bottom. And when we got to those deeper holes, it almost looked like there was no fish there. But as you started to either wade out to them or, or throw that heavy fly out, they would kind of come up off that bottom. And you could really see it kind of in those deep channels on that dark bottom. That's where all those fish were, were loaded up. So you definitely had the right idea before we ever even got there. We were kind of following your lead. I do have to call you out on something, though. You said a moderately big or a kind of a big fly. That thing scared me when you took it out of your box. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, when you look at like what they're doing a lot of times in the summer, or you're looking at you know it's kind of salt water. It's it's fairly small compared to those flies. You know, it's a, it wasn't articulated. It was you know fairly. Uh, moderate in terms of <laughs> in terms of streamer fish if you get in the real big guys but yeah compared to your your standard tackle you're going to find at the dollar store yeah it was a, a pretty sizable piece you know about five inches long so i guess that's a pretty big fly yeah it, and it was beautiful too you tied that yourself i did yeah you, t you tied it yourself and when we first started fishing the first place we started ben and i were using um, smaller streamers and you were getting more bites on that big giant one than than we were for sure uh, we didn't have a whole lot of luck, none of us, to start with. Where we first started, we could see a lot of fish. We were getting follows, or they were nosing it, which is mean they're kind of just falling right behind it, but they never really commit and, and bite. Uh, a couple short strikes, I, I think, on, on your streamer, and we tried to go downriver, uh, which is more of the... Uh, it, it gets further and further away from where they stalk. You're getting closer and closer to where this stream dumps into uh, a bigger river, 
and we didn't catch any trout, but you did. Right, you and I. Ben snuck off. He went to explore. He yeah, started dude. thinking about bass, yeah, so he started going looking for bass habitat. And you and I started joking, saying Ben's looking for bass. It would be cool if he came back saying he caught a smallmouth. There's got to be smallmouth in here. And I mean, ten seconds later, you say fish, 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 and it was a smallmouth. <laughs> yeah, a little smallmouth. So yeah, we were, we were just kind of laughing. Yeah. Because he looked up and he said, where'd Ben go? And I said, well, he ran around the corner. He's down there in an angle looking for bass. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, I'm not opposed to catching one. I like me a bronze back myself, you know. And, and I not I said, it wasn't 10 seconds later that I was slipping through the, uh, that water column. And I hooked up. And, you know, typically when you're trout fishing and you see a flash of that kind of ambery color, it's almost always a creek chub. They, they like that same type of habitat. They're kind of suckers, you know, type of big minnow family. And so when I saw the, the amber flash, I'm like, oh, it's just a chub. And as it started getting closer, I'm like, no, 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 this is a smallmouth. And I just started dying laughing because <laughs> yeah. we had just said that. And, it, and uh, I won't lie and say that I had to double him up to fit him in my pocket or anything like that. He wasn't a very big guy. But, uh, yeah, it was a smallmouth for that day. It was, he was, it was a lot of fun. He, he made up for size with Purdy, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. He was definitely, really pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and creek chubs, for everybody listening, that's a, a native minnow species. That It's a, it's a bottom feeder and a lot of times you catch a lot of them. We didn't catch any yesterday. I don't think anybody catch one. But a lot of times when you're out fishing in some of these these Ozark streams, you catch creek chub after creek chub. They, especially if you're fishing smaller stuff, I think most of what we were fishing was too big for them. But that's yeah, I mean, what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, Blake's fly was was bigger than a creek chub. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so we we got a bass, but we were like, man, we got to try something different. Um, time for a cup of coffee and then we had a cup of coffee and then we were like you know what <laughs> it's time for lunch <laughs> that led right into lunch we sat down at a picnic table and and all had lunch together which was great um but that is at the point where we realized ben you might have a problem the rest of the day <laughs> you know I, i'm glad we stopped then because i was able to uh to dry out that's exactly what it was you know um did you fall in didn't fall in i bought a brand new pair of waders you know these gentlemen that i fish with they have the equipment i didn't have it so i actually went out and and got me a set of waders um brand new you know they smelt that brand new pvc plastic smell i mean they were just brand new ready to go and uh, when i come out i was wet waist down somewhere somehow whether it be a seam uh, a hole that you can't see with the naked eye I had it, and uh, boy, I was wet, so I'm glad that it was 60 degrees that day because I was able to, to shed those, flip them inside out, and, and hang them up on a pole and let them dry out while we ate some lunch so I could get ready to go again. Yeah, we it, it at least provided a good laugh for us, and you... Well, I mean, it, ain't, it wasn't that funny. Like, <laughs> I just bought a brand new pair of waders, and they ain't working. Well, I, I will say I felt a little bad for you, but you can take them back. You can get new ones. I'm just going to take them back. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was funny for us, but you took your own advice and practiced what you preached, and you did not have any cotton on underneath them. You know, I actually found a synthetic pair. They're, they're the weirdest-looking britches I've ever seen. Okay, I found them. Um, it was Blake a, and I took a minute to make fun of them when we saw them. <laughs> laughter laughter ensued. Uh-huh. So Okay, so when I bought these, these chests, so I've got... Hip waders. I use hip waders for sucker grabbing in the spring, and and that's all I've ever owned. But these guys were saying, Ben, we're going to be out in that deeper water. I had been to Bennett Springs, like I said, since high school, and I just couldn't recall. But we had to wade out into the water, and 
the areas that we were going were over my my waist. So you know your your uh, hip waders wouldn't work. You have to have chest waders for some of these areas we were going into, and that's why I went and bought a pair. And buying that pair, I thought, what else do I need? So I actually bought some of the wool socks, the real thick wool socks that go all the way up to your knee. That was the best purchase for that outfit. The best. I mean, I was so comfortable in those. And then second, I actually found, this has been a little while back, I bought these for my wife to wear when we go outside in the snow. And she could wear them underneath um, some of those Carhartt uh, overalls. But it's a synthetic, basically bibbed. Um, it's a, it goes from about your, your chest down to about your ankles and it zips up and down on each side so you can get it off and on, but it's fully synthetic and it's, it is so synthetic that it keeps you so warm. Like it, it works so well. And I'm so glad I wore those underneath these because guys, I was soaking wet, but I was still warm because of the wool, because of the synthetic. Um, but I'm thankful that I brought a pair of change of clothes so that once I was done, I could get dry on the ride home, but the equipment was, it did keep me um, protected, right? So I was wet, but I was still protected from the elements, but I was wet. He thought we made fun of him yesterday for the pants. He just told us that he shared them with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't tell him that. I, I actually bought them for her, but I ended up taking them back and using them for me. Yeah, I'm really glad you didn't tell us that yesterday. I don't know if... I don't know if I would have even allowed you to continue fishing with us. Yeah, I, I can't stress to you what uh, humorous result is when he stripped his waders down. If you imagine the inside of a sock, yeah, that's about what he looked like from his belly button down. Uh-huh. And, and a zipper on the front, the back, the side, maybe even the quarter panel. There was like a zipper on every side of these things. He was zipped up 10 ways to Sunday, I'll tell you. Yeah, it, it was uh, an interesting outfit. Thankfully, you sat at the picnic table, and we didn't have to look at it while we were eating our you know, lunch. You know, if the waders would have worked perfectly, you guys would have never known. So, so we need to take up our issue with the waiter, the the waiters manufacturer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. yeah, I'm mad at him. I'll be sure to send him a letter this week. Uh, so, what after we after we ate lunch, our our biggest decision was: do we fish right there where we've been fishing? Do we just try to change colors, change fly pattern, or do we try somewhere new? And we kind of went with: well, let's hop in the truck, let's drive around the park. Let's fish somewhere new. My goodness, though. We drove from one end to the other, and we stopped at the only spot where we could fit in, where there was space for us to fish. Thankfully, whether God led us there or what, I don't know. I was still getting ready at the truck. Ben, I think you were too. Blake was ready to fish, and you were at the water for 10 seconds, and I hear a whistle, and there you are holding up. A trout. We finally got one. That was the first trout that we caught of, of the day. And you just happened to walk up on this kind of a special little area. You wanted to describe it? Yeah, so when I was there last year, we had kind of fished that same area. And basically what it is, is it's almost like a little tributary that the channel has cut when it comes up. It cuts a little side channel. And then as the water goes back down to normal levels, uh, it just becomes kind of a little back bay. I mean, it's not connected. It's not flowing anymore. And so a lot of vegetation in it, uh, very still water. Uh, but also if you cross across that little side bay, you get into a pretty good stretch of channel there and nobody was sitting there as good wide stretch. Three men could easily fish that together. And so when I went down there, I'm kind of thinking, okay, this is a good shallow area to cross up and get over that main channel. And as I was coming down, I noticed that there was a ton of vegetation in here and I was looking at it and I sort of noticed, Hey, there's a, there's a ton of trout in here too. Uh And so I never actually even got into the water when I made my first cast. I kind of just bowed 
uh, out that fly and as soon as it hit the water you know this time of year like you mentioned earlier the food really isn't there there's not as much for them to eat and so while they are you know a little bit more lethargic they're also really hungry and so when they see something that they are really interested in they're going to attack it a little bit more aggressively than they typically would uh, they're not going to follow it as much as they normally would and so yeah within uh, i think the first second or third cast that i made i was able to get one in and, and in that same spot we were all able to catch at least a couple yeah, they're really opportunistic this time of year. I mean, Very you, so. you've got to present it close to them. They're not going to come from a long way to get it. But if, if you present it close and they have the opportunity to get that meal, they're going to take it. Um, I think what made this little spot special for us, and I think we all caught two or three in a matter of just a few minutes right there out of the spot, was a couple of things that you want to look for when trout fishing in the winter. One, the water was moving slower. They don't want to have to burn as much energy, like you mentioned earlier, trying to stay in this current. So they're going to find some slower moving water than they typically will the rest of the year. Secondly, because this was kind of off of the main channel where the, the spring was really feeding it and it was shallow and dark, this really probably had some solar energy in this water and this water was probably warmer than the rest. Couldn't tell through the waders and I didn't even think about that at the time, but thinking about it today was that, that spot where we caught the most that you walked up to, it had to be a little warmer than the rest of the areas that we were in. So it, it was a really good spot. We all got to catch fish right there. And then once it kind of slowed down, we moved out to that main channel. It continued to catch a few more, but I noticed there were some folks down from us that they walked in. It was actually ended up, we found out later after talking to them later, Ben, it was a grandfather and a granddaughter, but I watched them walk in downstream from us. And within like two casts, they both caught one and they continued to catch one and catch one and catch one. And we were like, what are they fishing with? What they weren't, they weren't doing the nymphing. Like I was watching everybody else do. They didn't have the floats on. They didn't have the strike indicators. So I was kind of curious of what they were doing and they caught their 10 or 12 each. And then they walked on out and they were done. I, th I was like, what in the world they were doing? But Ben, you actually got an opportunity to talk to them. Yeah, and before I share that story, Blake, what what do you even call it? I can't even think of what they told me that this thing even looked like. What was it even? What do you even call it? This thing that they were throwing. So it is still in the realm we would consider nymphs. Um, basically, you're you're imitating an, an aquatic uh, insect or invertebrate, and that's definitely what it was. So it was a small little worm pattern. So basically, it was a fly that was designed to replicate a a, a worm. Um, there are several different ways you see them. Uh, the San Juan worm is probably the most common fly that imitates the worm pattern. Uh, Sidley worms another common option. What they were using was a little bit of a variation of a San Juan uh, using a chamois, uh, so kind of a chamois material. Mm -hmm. uh, and what that does is it just has so much more movement in it, especially once it's wet. It just kind of flutters as it moves through the water column. And so uh, I've heard a few different names for them. We'll typically just call them a chamois worm. Yeah, that's what I was trying to remember because you said, that's a chamois, and I couldn't even think of what you said. So, yeah, as as the uh, granddaughter was coming out, um, I was still on the bank. Um, I don't even remember what happened now. I was trying to retie. I was trying to do something, but I was out of the water. And, and as she came out, I said, hey, we've been seeing you guys killing them over there. I said, what's your secret? And she just gave me a big smile. And I said, no, really, what's your secret? And she kind of looked at me, and, and I said, you're not giving it up? And she was like, no, some things you just got to keep secret. And I said, okay, all right, sounds good. And I left her be. 
Well, I was headed back down to these guys, and and I actually heard her yelling for me and kind of coming up, and I turned back around. And by that time, her grandpa had, had got back up to the truck, and she was carrying down a, a, tackle, a little tackle box, and she opened it up. She goes, here, this is what we were using, which was one of those chamois you're talking about, which I had never seen one like it. It, it literally looks like a... Oh, like a, a sham wow, like a, a, a cloth, a hand cloth that they've cut little strips out of. And then they, they tied a, I don't even know what size hook this is. This thing is so tiny, but they tied it up and that's literally it. That's all they had on here. And I was so thankful that she came down to give that to me. I wanted to go up and shake his hand because the grandpa's the ones makes them. So I went up and, and I just kind of chatted with him for a little bit, you know, talked about where they're from and, and got to know him a little bit. And they gave me one of those. And I was just so thankful and and they also added that you needed to add um, a little weight to it because they were catching. They wanted that to get down in that lower, that lower, deeper column, like we were talking about. So I was pumped. I was pumped because I, I had the secret weapon now. You know, we'd saw them catching. I had the secret. So I put it on and I threw it out. And I'm here to tell you, I didn't catch anything on it. <laughs> I didn't catch a thing. <laughs> well, two, two things I want to take from your story there. One. Don't be afraid to to ask and, and talk to other anglers and kind of talk about what people are seeing and experiencing. And a lot of times they will. They'll they'll share. Um, and that was super super kind of them. Especially, I mean, he's making those flies, but you're you're buying those things for three or four dollars a piece at the store. So right. for him to just give that up, that was that was really kind. Uh, but yeah, it literally was a tiny little hook and a little strip of material. But a lot of times this time of year when it does rain. There's not a lot, uh, you get more erosion and runoff, so worms are falling into the water column and drifting through, and so as worms come by, that is one of the few forages that is out there for trout this time of year, and they did, they had keyed on that that is what they're eating right now, and they were catching them. Mistake we probably made was to not go back out where they were catching them because they weren't there anymore. We tried a whole different area that's, and it didn't work. Yeah, that's all I was going to add um, in that joke and in the, in the seriousness of this though is is I tried it in a, a swifter water. Blake was talking earlier about when you have narrow body water, that water swifter, and that was an area that we went to next. And I just couldn't get down and replicate that that depth that I needed to for where they were fishing. Um, so if we'd have had more time, if, if we could have went and done it again, I'd have went in that more calm water, a little bit deeper where that sinker could have pulled that, that warm-like bait down and, and hopefully got in that range of that fish. Yeah, that last area there, that was kind of the swifter water that we tried, that fly that you were given in, we didn't catch anything. We all three fished there, and that's really where we ended our day. The area before that was really the only place that we caught fish consistently, and a limit of trout is four, and we all caught four. I would say in the winter, typically, you can expect not to get as many bites and catch as many trout as you would the rest of the year, um, but you can still have a good day of fishing, and we, we did. We It was still catch and release. We had to release them all, but we are all able to catch them. What really worked for us, we put on I'm going to say a small streamer. We all were catching fish on smaller size streamers that had either a beaded head or a sculpin head, something that was getting down deep, kind of fitting um, a bigger meal for a trout, maybe that crayfish, leech, or, or minnow sized bait. And we were having to fish it pretty slow. You could fish it fast and maybe a couple of them will look at it, but to get bites, I personally was having to fish it slower, one, just to allow it to get all the way down to the bottom um, and I know Ben, you were actually letting it bounce on the bottom and to get your bites. Yeah, I wanna I wanna make this very clear that um, Blake caught the most. 
Okay. Blake caught the most. So when Brian says we caught four, we at least caught four, but Blake caught quite a bit more. I'm, I'm here to say. But what was working for me um, is as I was actually bouncing it off the bottom. And that was really hard to do in some of those deep pockets. So what was actually happening is some of the fish were actually following my bait out after several casts. They were kind of coming out of that deep. And then I was actually catching that same fish in that shallower water on the bottom. But it wasn't easy. I mean, it, it took... A long time it took a lot of work to get that to happen but Blake what did you use what was kind of your process I know we started with the bait you first started off with but kind of tell us how did what did you kind of move to and what was starting to work for you since you were catching so many you made us look bad so you might as well share your secrets <laughs> yeah so when you're when you're trying to fish deep water uh, there's two main things to consider uh, the first is how are you going to present that deep um, so using a heavier fly, of course, is, is going to bring you down, but also your line. And that's something that uh, doesn't get talked about a lot, especially in kind of the more novice circles, is, is line choice. What, you know, what type of line should I be using? How long of a leader should I be using? Uh, and that was probably the most pivotal thing to my success. Uh, as Brian just said, you know, he was fishing slower. I wasn't. I was stripping big strips. I was fishing very quickly. But the reason I was able to do that was because I was using a sink tip fly line. Mm -hmm. So the first six to eight feet of my fly line is actually specifically weighted. It's extra heavy so that it sinks down where typical fly line is floating. And so if you've got a floating fly line and you've got, say, a nine foot leader, it doesn't matter how heavy your fly is. You're only going to fish down to nine feet maximum. With a current, that becomes less. With a floating or monofilament type of tippet or, or leader, it's even less than that. So when Ben was saying he was dragging these fish up and then getting bites, it's because he was enticing them to an area where he could properly present to. With me having that sink tip, I was able to, within a few seconds, get down to my desired depth and hook up at that 12-foot mark that we were catching some of these fish at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a big difference is Ben and I both had floating line. Mm -hmm. So I did have to fish slow with a heavy fly just to get it down to them um and i was kind of jealous of you for that but i don't have as many fly rods as you so you get to have these different setups i'm a little a little jealous of that but it was helpful because we got to see that was working for you so we could kind of change our approach based on the gear that we had and and it eventually worked we were all able to catch fish so if you do go with a group of people, have people try different things and different setups and, and, and get an idea of what's working. And then you can kind of all hone in on what is successful and everybody can have uh, a successful day and, and have fun catching. Yeah, and to just kind of piggyback on that, you know, uh, when you go out fishing, uh, really, at the end of the day, if your main goal is to catch fish, okay, well, that's one thing. You know, what's the most effective thing you can use? And based upon what we saw there, the most effective thing to use would have been a nymph. Mm -hmm. uh, but the three of us, we're all kind of bass fishermen. We all like more of the action. We like, you know, a little bit more aggressive approach to things. So for us, even if we had caught more fish, I don't think we would have enjoyed it as much as if we were doing what we were doing. We were doing something different than everybody else. We were doing something a bit more aggressive than everybody else. We may not have caught as many fish, but I think we had more fun because that's more our style. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people get it in the mindset that you have to do something this way or you have to do something that way, but do something that you enjoy doing. Uh, they always laugh at me when we go out fishing together because I, I typically will throw one bait, even if it's not really 
produce anything. They say, well, why don't you switch it up? I go, well, if I'm not going to catch fish, I'd rather not catch fish on this bait than yeah. on another one. Might as well have might as well have fun going out, right? Well, that's, yeah. well, that's why we call you Spinnerbait Blake. <laughs> I mean, that's that's you got it. But you know, that's such a good point, Blake. Um, you know, I didn't want to use a nymph. I, for me, that was kind of like that idea of maybe using like live bait for for bass, kind of going out. And, and I'm not against it. Um, I've done that. Um, but I wanted to take the that jig, that that jig style, and I wanted to catch trout and. I was willing to to not catch any just to try to catch them with that. So that's such a good point. And really for those listening, whatever you have in your box, that's what you have in your box. You know, use it. Use it. Learn how to use it. You used a bait that I don't have and you're able to catch fish. And, and I had some baits that you weren't using that I was able to catch fish. So there are fish all year long that are in different columns of the water. You just got to find them. You got to find out which ones want the bait in your box. And then that's all that's to it. Yeah, what was important was that we finally did something that worked and and we kind of all uh piggybacked on that there were some things that didn't work though and one ben we already shared that your waiter didn't work right and we kind of had to make fun of you for having to dry out at lunch well at the end of the day when i took my waiters off we found out that my waiters didn't work either and my entire right leg and my wallet and everything was soaked, but again, thankfully, it was 60 degrees. Well, I mean, since we're kind of, you know, pushing, kind of make fun a little bit, what material were you wearing under your, your bibs? What what kind of material were you wearing? Well, my base layer closest to my skin was synthetic, and okay. then my layer over that was cotton jeans, and I uh, checked those jeans this morning to throw them in the washer, and they were still, still wet Still wet. That's right. That's why you don't wear cotton. That's why you don't wear it, cotton. It gets wet. It stays wet. There's no drying out. There is one more thing, and this is really a lesson I learned because I've never experienced it, but this is one more thing that didn't work that we learned from yesterday, and that is when it is a windy day and you sit down to eat lunch, you always face your mustache away from the wind (laughs) (laughs) because Blake, he was eating his sandwich and he just had this like, why is there hair in my sandwich? Well, the wind was blowing so hard that he was getting some some mustache in his sandwich. what was the exact quote you said? I think I might have to face due west yeah, so I don't my, eat my mustache off. I have off. to face downwind so I can chew. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, man, this lettuce sure has a bit of grit to it. I was chewing on the whole right side of my mustache. Yeah, oh, if if you can't tell, we all really enjoy each other's company, and we all had a really good time yesterday. And I hope that you take from this uh, maybe some inspiration, not only to get with your friends, plan some time with your friends, put it on the calendar. Don't just talk about doing it so that you actually go do it. We're going to say do it outdoors. Find an activity outdoors to go have fun with your friends. Blake, right here before we wrap up, first I just want to say thank you for for taking the time. I know you're a busy man, but uh, being being here on the podcast means a lot to us, and we had a really, really good time with you yesterday and even more fun and laughs today. Is there any last words or anything you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah, so we're, we've been talking about fly fishing today, and uh, you know there is kind of an idea about fly fishing. I think it's kind of the same mentality that goes around You know, a lot of, of uh, sporting clays or, or upland game hunting. And it's this idea that you have to be wealthy or you have to be a really, really good at it to, to, to be in this. Brian mentioned a little bit earlier about introductory level uh, fly rods, stuff you can get from Walmart, and absolutely you can. Um, I think some people kind of get nervous because, you know, you don't want to spend money on something that you think is so specialized. But I'm here to tell you, uh, 
Getting a fly rod doesn't mean that you can only fish trout. You can use a fly rod for any type of fish. Uh, you can manipulate your line. You can manipulate your flies. You can manipulate the weight of your rod to be able to really encompass a large amount of fishing. And, I, and let me tell you something else. My first fly rod was absolutely a $35 Walmart special. I mm -hmm. learned to fish on it. And, you know, I don't fish with it anymore. But you know what is the best crappie rod in my boat? Is that $35? So if it doesn't work for you and you find out, you know, I don't like I don't like fly fishing. It's a 12 foot, 8 foot to 12 foot long rod that you can use for another option. Uh, don't be afraid of getting out and doing it. And, you know, yeah, it does take a little bit of time to get used to fly fishing. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit more finesse. Uh, but don't be afraid of it. It's not something that you have to be the best at. And, you know, I didn't learn from an instructor. I taught myself how to fly fish. And I'm not going to lie to you, the first fish that I caught on a fly rod was so small, <laughs> I cast it through the air three or four times before <laughs> I recognized that it was even on there. Uh, so there, there is a learning curve to it. Don't let that intimidate you. If fly fishing is something that you're interested in or something you'd like to get into, there are plenty of people who are more than happy to share and talk to you about this. Um, I know lots of guys who will see somebody on the bank, kind of like we met, uh, who really just want to encourage people to be outside, encourage them to succeed, and are more than happy to help you, give you some tips or advice. Uh, and that's, you know, just don't be afraid. You know, if you've got 35 bucks to buy a fly rod, go ahead and do it. And, you know, later you find out, hey, this isn't what I'm, I really like. Hey, you're out $35. It's not a big deal. Um, that's why I always kind of advocate for if you're thinking about getting into, especially any type of outdoor recreation, Maybe start off either if you can borrow, if you have a friend who has a kayak. That's or a good point, yeah. who has a shotgun that's going to let you borrow or has a fly rod. If not, get that base layer. Get that base level. Get that, you know, the Walmart special, we often call them, and just see if you like it. If it's something you enjoy, well, then you can start looking at a little bit higher quality stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but just get out there and do it. Uh, if you don't like it, you don't like it. No harm, no foul. But get out there and, and do something outside and maybe find something that you really are passionate about. Yeah, if you can't tell, Blake's just about or more passionate about the outdoors as we are, and he makes some really good points. What I want to say is, if we can help you in any way, reach out to Ben and I at Meant to Be Outdoors. Uh, you, uh, you can email us. It's m2boutdoors at gmail.com. You can go to our, our Facebook, our Instagram, and send us a message there. We would love to help, even if it's just answering questions. We have had people in the past um, wanting to buy gifts for people, whether it be bows or, or rods and reels, saying, what should we get? We love those types of questions. We love taking the, the time to help. It's not a burden to us at all. Blake, once again, thank you so much for going out with us, putting up with us, and uh, even teaching me a little bit while we are out there. So thank you, bud. And that is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We hope that you feel inspired to go spend some time outdoors. We would love your support. Some ways that you can do that is follow us on social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, as well as whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on. Please hit the download button, the automatic download, and subscribe. Also, we would love to hear your feedback. It also is a favor to us because it helps us move up the charts so other people can find it to listen to as well. So please leave us a review and a rating. That is it for this episode of Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. And as always, between now and that time, we hope that you find time to get outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.